Well, hello, Darren. Hello, Matthew. Happy 2024. This is our first <laughs> podcast in the new year. Ooh. Yeah. Hi, um, it's been a while. <laughs> we got some exciting news for the new year. Uh, after yeah. much deliberation and very complicated <laughs> decision-making process, um, which involved pulling papers out of the hat, we decided... <laughs> It's going to be called uh, Nibbles and Bits, the Batman mm-hmm. podcast, but uh, you know, people can just call it Nibbles and Bits for, for ease. Um, we just need to figure out a regular schedule now. Yeah. But I don't think that's going to happen for yeah. a little bit. Well, today we are talking about kind of Tales from the Trenches kind of deal. Some of the crazier or cooler cases that we've seen in our extensive time in the veterinary medical field yeah um and uh, just as a reminder these are uh not stories to influence you on treatments uh in terms of similar situations that you may find your pets in um we are not veterinarians so if you do have um, any concerns or issues please um reach out to your local veterinarian for um for help also we are omitting all names of patients, clients, because HIPAA is a thing. Correct. Technically, in the in the world of veterinary medicine, um, so we won't be using names. We'll just be using breeds. Yeah. That sort of and thing. And mostly, I don't remember. <laughs> Shh, don't let them ago. know. Um, I do remember the one patient's name, um, which I mean, it's been ten years, so I think it's fine to use at least the patient's name there, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the client's name, so it'll be all right. <laughs> They're not going to listen to this anyway, probably. Um, but also just another disclaimer, um, since these are um, actual cases, some of these stories may be a little bit more graphic um, than you may like, so just, just a heads up. Yeah. And I mean, just due to some of the nature of some of them, like it's going to be, some of them do end in a sad way, so that's yeah another way to... Look at that. But yeah. we're not gonna um, we're not gonna just do a bunch of stories of very sad cases. Where, oh yeah, no, um, that's just so, depressing. But, but <laughs> there may be a few that um, uh, are pretty pretty sad. So yeah. just heads up there. Well, I think age before beauty, Matthew. <laughs> age before beauty. Okay. Since since you've been in the field longer than I have. <laughs> okay. I think you have you've been in the field longer than yeah, I have. This yeah, this will be thirteen years. Okay. I'm I'm right behind you at eleven. Yeah. So the first story that I'm going to talk about was from my time in Arizona. Um we had this pit bull come in. Um, I think was about four or five years old. Um and uh, he came in because he was shot with a shotgun in his front end. Um, the story behind that was the owner um, lived uh, in kind of like this little community. And supposedly his neighbor came over to get some money that uh, the owner of the dog owed him. And he entered the owner's um, house and the dog supposedly went to attack him as one would assume a dog you know just defending his his property and um, the person who entered the property uh, ended up shooting the dog and when he came in um, we took x-rays and the elbow uh, was pretty much just 
gone, as you can imagine. Um, and you can just see hundreds of pellets, you know, the little BBs from the, the actual cartridge, which on the x-ray was pretty cool uh, to see. It was just interesting because um, that's not something that you generally see a lot. Um, luckily, it missed the dog's vital organs, um, and it was just the shoulder and the elbow area. And uh, the treatment for that, we ended up uh, just amputating the, the front leg and cleaning out as many of the um, shotgun pellets that we could. And the dog recovered very well. Um, he did great after surgery. Um, generally speaking, the front legs of the, the animals are the load-bearing legs. So it's usually a little bit harder on the animals to lose a front leg than it is a back leg, especially being um, the type of breed he was, very big-chested, heavy up front. Um, so the consequences or side effects of that generally end up being earlier onset of arthritis and um, the other joints of the, the remaining leg. But otherwise, um, he did great. He was a happy boy. And um, as far as I know, he went on to live many more years. Yay, a happy story. Yeah. Yeah, the The reason why that story was so crazy was, at least to me, is because it was early on uh, in my career. It was like mm -hmm. year two or something. And so I hadn't seen too many just like crazy traumas like that. Um, I mean, we've had coyote attacks and some hit by cars and stuff but um that was that was just a significant one and just those the backstory behind it because it was interesting the way the owner had put it because why did the guy have the shotgun to begin with if he was just coming over to borrow money or get money back that he owed because it's not like when the dog attacked him he just happened to grab a shotgun like he already had it so the whole situation was just really sketchy mm -hmm. and that's why it's just very memorable to me mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of some of the crazier cases that we have aren't necessarily like the actual medical portion of the case. I mean, it's pretty crazy that this dog got shot in the leg <clears throat> and ended up losing the leg, unfortunately. But I feel like a lot of the backstory to a lot of these stories gets really interesting mm -hmm. to say. Um, <clears throat> I guess one is early on in my certified career or my path to getting there. Um, I guess technically on my externship, uh, I externed for a mixed animal practice. And um, in my six weeks of veterinary technician externship, we had nine C-sections. I was, I was really tired. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do another cattle C-section ever again. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I mean, I've heard of troubled deliveries in, mm -hmm. in cattle in terms of where you have to get like the pull chains and things like that and those going very very bad but i guess i've never and i've seen like pictures and stuff of that but i guess i've never seen a cattle c-section yeah how did that go it was interesting so we did so you had to do a local in the side mm -hmm. of the animal and you do the standing right yep yeah. standing yeah which there's is crazy no sedation which is totally crazy yeah. um and you do the local anesthesia um some of them kick a lot. Oh, I'm sure when you're doing the yeah. local anesthesia. Because, I mean, apparently lidocaine burns like yeah, the dickens. It does. Um, so, doing that standing, most of the time, I will say, the cows were surprisingly okay. They would give a couple of kicks. But then when we actually like went to do the procedure itself, it was pretty smooth. Um, little crazy to see the side of the cow open and then you pull out the baby. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they bait the doctors pull out the calf and then they kind of toss it at you to like mm-hmm. okay we gotta gotta sew this up real quick before mm-hmm. everything wears off um and then you have to do you have to like clean them up you have a crap ton of cat towels mm-hmm. um you do the little suction you do the um coupage where you you basically you're patting them on the side of their thorax or their chest to help move the uh, fluid out of their lungs out of their airway um so it was a lot of it was a lot of physical labor and it it took a lot of strength Mm -hmm. um thankfully we had two technicians there at the time at each time to be able to like tag team getting the little calf up and going and it's crazy how fast they do it too Mm -hmm. like once you get them all cleaned off and get their airways cleaned they're like up and walking around in a couple of minutes Mm -hmm. and it's great it's wonderful only human babies would be able to just be like right out of and they're like (laughs) Get up walking around getting jobs, and that'd be nice. Can you imagine how terrifying <laughs> that would be? So, C sections and cattle mm-hmm. is did they decide to do that because the the cow already had a history of um, trouble uh, deliveries, or was this like a plan thing? Like we don't, it's easier or better for the cow mm-hmm. to have the C section rather than go through the. Comp- potential complications of delivery i guess what was the deciding factor there do you know i don't fully remember i do think that part of it was that there were probably like previous issues with previous birthing Mm -hmm. um i think also there was there were a couple that were they had tried the chains they had tried Mm -hmm. intervening themselves um but unfortunately um it doesn't always work so then kind of the last Ditch effort so, per se. So most of these were like, okay, this is the last, like C-section is yeah. the last resort. We need to get yeah. it now. Okay. Yeah. So it was, and having grown up on a farm, knock on wood, we very rarely had any issues birthing. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a couple where it was like three o'clock in the morning and we had to go out with the chains and never in the warm season. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Yeah. It's always cold. It, and where I Less. lived, it was like 40 degrees yeah. below mm-hmm. freezing. Uh, so negative 40. It was horrible. Yeah. Oh, it was so cold. Um, but yeah, it, it usually a last resort because they've already tried everything else. Yeah. So it was, it was an interesting experience to say the least. Yeah. And then I know in, in cattle, it's pretty rare for twins to happen, but did you ever encounter twins? I don't recall. Personally, growing up mm-hmm. on the farm, we had twins somewhat regularly oh, okay. every couple of years. We had one that it was triplets. Wow. No, only one of them survived. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Well, yeah. you can imagine. Twins is super rare. Yeah. Triplets is like... Uber rare. And they're... Um, as triplets, they're like the size of a lamb. Mm. So it yeah, super small, yeah. very small, rentish, mm-hmm. you could say. Uh, but it was, yeah. I don't recall us. We might have had like one like C section where there were twins, but again, I don't. I can't say it with sure. total confidence. Okay. Well, that's pretty neat. I don't ever want to do another cow C section <laughs> ever again. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. It did. <laughs> I mean, not that other C-sections aren't, but I mean, just, mm-hmm. just the size, dealing with the mm-hmm. size of the animals and stuff. It's... Yeah. <clears throat> and at least with small animals and humans, you, you can do anesthesia and mm-hmm. stuff. This was standing, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word, they're kind of, they can be pretty wild. Mm-hmm. 
do you put them in any in the squeeze shoot or anything like that? Like, Not necessarily a squeeze shoot, but just like a, a shoot. Something that to you. Yeah, so they're not just like running away while you... Yeah. Yeah, just like, hey, there that, it goes. Because yeah, that would not be good. No, no. We actually, we didn't want to do this one out in the field, but the owners insisted that we do it out in the field, mm-hmm. and they had a squeeze shoot. It just made it so much more complicated. Mm-hmm. So much more complicated. Like, the wind was blowing, the squeeze shoot just wasn't squeezing in the right spots, and it was causing issues, so we mm-hmm. had to be like, hey, can you, like not do that can you let up a little bit and it it was mm-hmm. just bad um so my second story um uh, also comes from my time in in arizona um so this was like a german shepherd dog um we had seen for a few years um i think they had seen him prior to me being there as well um but his name was uh, Scipio, and I'll always remember his name because he was a, not a nice dog. He historically, we had to have him muzzled before coming in. He would barely let us listen to him and touch him for exams and stuff. Um, so, yeah, he was very, very aggressive. Um, and um, he came in one day. He was like nine-ish or something. He came in because he was acting extremely lethargic at home. He was not eating, not drinking, um, just not his normal self. And especially when he came in, he did not care about us at all. He mm-hmm. was not growling. Like, he would be growling and lunging at us for most of the time in the room, normally when he was healthy. Um, but when he came in this time, he was just laying there. I mean, we still muzzled him just out of precaution, but we when we got to go listen to him, and we are actually able to get a temperature on him this time. Usually we just skip it because it would just be a fight. He would just lay there. Um, he was not interested at all. So we definitely knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up taking some x-rays. And uh, I believe we did an ultrasound as well. Because the x-rays, they showed a potential mass in his caudal abdomen. And mm-hmm. medical terminology, caudal just means like the back end. So we did the ultrasound to sort of confirm if there was something going on there. And we ended up diagnosing him with a prostate abscess. Ooh. Yeah. And um, it was really crazy because he was neutered. Yeah, and he had been neutered for a long time. So even though neutering your animal does help generally with prostatic issues as they get older, you know, nothing in, in medicine is 100%. So um, this was sort of an outlier um, so we presented the owners with all the treatment options and things. Uh, euthanasia was definitely in the conversation given his age, the intensity of the surgery, the recovery. What we ended up doing was surgery and we put in um, some drains through the prostate um, to the outside of the animal. So obviously all that infection and everything could drain out. And uh, he came back in a few weeks. And it was interesting because his behavior had changed so drastically when he came back in for his initial recheck. Um, He would let us pet him. He would let us listen to him. He was super nice. So uh, I was like, well, was that the reason why he was such a dick to begin with? Like, (laughs) 
uh, I mean, I would be very grumpy and upset if I had yeah. a, a nasty, you know, infection in there. So it was quite interesting to see that. And um, to some extent, uh, that does happen. We see it with cats who seem to be very aggressive and just not cooperative in the, the clinic. And then when they come in and they're also not acting normal and we're actually able to handle them and we're like, oh, well, they have severe kidney disease or, you know, just whatever. And we implement a treatment. Their behavior changes so much because they feel good finally. So that was kind of my initial thought and being early on in my career as well I made the mistake of trusting him later on because he was being so nice before so he came back in for his final like recheck and I didn't muzzle him that time which was mistake one and um, I went down to to listen to him and he started growling and I was like okay well maybe he's feeling more his normal self which was probably just not very cooperative with people anyway and so I was smart enough to recognize that and I went to back up and he did lunge at me luckily I was already fairly far away and I did kind of put my hand out to sort of just protect the rest of me and he did end up biting the lateral edge so towards my pinky and that was probably really the only significant bite that I've had from a dog and I think that's still a scar yeah it was my right hand I still have a very small scar I don't know if you can see it in this light but there's a light oh yeah light line right there Mm -hmm. um from where his tooth got me um just a, a teaching moment for those of you out there who do end up getting bit by dogs um please do go seek medical uh, attention for them because dogs mouths are very gross cats mouths are very gross um, and especially with puncture wounds um, because all that bacteria all that nastiness and you know it's not just on the surface it goes into the tissues so um yeah my hand got really red it got really swollen and it hurt a lot just because of all the infectious process mm-hmm. and uh, i mean i just went on antibiotics and i mean within i think that first 12 hours after that first dose my hand was already feeling immensely better the swelling had gone down quite a bit so I have a question for you because we had a similar case with a corgi that was also very grumpy. Mm-hmm. He had a prostate infection. Mm-hmm. We knew neut- he was intact and we ended up neutering him once he was feeling a little better. Um, did you guys do antibiotics beforehand or did you guys just go kind of like straight to surgery? Um, I don't remember the specifics of that. I mm-hmm. feel like we probably didn't, just given our schedule, it wasn't like, we have time right now. I think we probably mm-hmm. put him on antibiotics and then we did the surgery either the next day or a gotcha. couple of days later. I know we didn't do like, let's try this for two weeks and then go in and do it, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was, well, we obviously know we need to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, we can... We can make it work, you know, either tomorrow or the next day. But here's antibiotics for now to at least get that started. Right. This, this little corgi was grumpy, and he unfortunately did not get better afterward. Like mm-hmm. behavior-wise, mm-hmm. he's we still can't touch him without sedating him. Yeah. It, but he had an infection in his prostate. Did you only do medical management for that one? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we, you didn't want to neuter him and do we, all that, or did you end up? So neutering? we neutered him. Okay. Um, the owner really didn't want to. All of these have had good outcomes so far. Knock on wood. Yeah. I'm gonna put a damper on the parade. Okay. I think. Am I gonna put a damper on the parade? Hold on. Oh, yeah. Um, our friend Bailey will know about this one. Graphic warning. This one is gonna be very graphic. Um, a German Shepherd came into us on an emergency, hit by a car on a gravel road. Uh. Half of its thorax was like degloved. Mm. Like it was just to the point of. Was it to, to bone? Or was it just. It was pretty close. Tissue? Yeah. Um, so, like, I'm pretty sure the intestines were hanging out of the body. 
um, like half of the entire chest, like from abdomen to chest, was uh-huh. just degloved, just hanging. Mm-hmm. And that, at that point, was we weren't concerned about keeping that like sterile. Mm-hmm. We were concerned about getting all the little gravel bits out. Yeah. So we didn't bother with saline. Um, we had it on a wet table, uh-huh. and we were using the um, hose attachment yeah. to kind of rinse everything with warm water. Um, the dog was complete. We had it like intubated yeah, under anesthesia because yeah. absolutely not. We're not doing that with a. We're not doing sedation on this dog. Um, B. We're just gonna go right to anesthetizing because this is really bad. So we spent a solid 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even an hour, like rinsing all of that out, doing some debridement. Um, and we were sewing the dog up on the wet table. Um, she did okay and recovered well from the anesthesia initially, but overnight she just, she really crashed and unfortunately she passed mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. Um, breaking the news to the owner was very difficult but yeah yeah unfortunately um that does happen it's it's part of the job Mm -hmm. um so my next one uh which i got reminded of uh, from the last story that i told also took place in, in arizona and this was Again, another German Shepherd, um, another older dog. It was kind of an older guy. It was a very sweet dog. And this one was more crazy just because it was surprising. He came in and wasn't um, urinating well, uh, I believe, and just overall not feeling good. So again, similar to the last case, we took x-rays. We saw some sort of mass in his abdomen. And so we went into surgery. And while we were were in there looking for it, we found it. And it was, I don't know, probably roughly the size of my fists, um, like a small grapefruit size. And we thought at first it was a kidney. And because also on the x-ray, it was pretty far up uh, cranial, as we would say, mm-hmm. in the abdomen. So towards the front of the abdomen. And so we thought it was a, a, a kidney, um, either a mass on the kidney or, or something to that effect. But then as um, the doctor was investigating, like, where's the point of origin? You know, where is this attached to? Because you don't just want to start yanking things out without mm-hmm. knowing what it's attached to or what it is first. So um, we actually discovered that it was his testicle. And, yeah, it was huge. It was gnarly. It was very vascular and it surprised us because one the size of it and two i believe because he was marked as neutered what does happen sometimes is um psa so standing on my soapbox um if you do end up getting an animal and it's up to you your responsibility to get them spayed or neutered even though it's going to be a bit more expensive to go to a veterinary clinic rather than the animal shelter this is my (laughs) speech on um, please go get it done at an actual veterinary clinic because sometimes they're not always done to the highest of standards as yes, a veterinary clinic would yeah. do. So our guess is that when he was either brought to a shelter or originally adopted and the owner took him to go get neutered, there's a condition called cryptorchidism. And that's when one or both of the testicles um, don't descend to the outside of the animal and one is in the, the body. Usually it's in the abdominal cavity. Sometimes it gets stuck in the area between the abdominal cavity and the actual scrotum. We usually 
recommend to people in these cases, even though he only has one testicle externally, we still need to go find the other testicle because um, as they get older, they're still going to have that testosterone influence. It still does work, so they still can continue breeding and it is hereditary, so the likelihood of future puppies and kittens that will be cryptorchid is higher because of it and the instances of complications cancers those types of things are higher uh, because the testicle doesn't like to stay at 101 degrees or 102 degrees Fahrenheit which is roughly the normal temperature of a dog and that can cause a lot of issues so that's what happened with this guy um, and in this case wherever he was neutered at they didn't bother to notice that he only had one testicle didn't care about going finding the other testicle um, I don't know but what ended up happening was we removed it and we sent it off and luckily it was benign um, and he seemed to recover fairly well from it. And again, as far as I know, he lived out the rest of his life. I'll stand on my soapbox with you a little bit. I will also put out there that I do understand cost of living is a little ridiculous. But I do think that veterinary clinics do their spay-neuter procedures at a higher standard than shelter medicine. And also, I don't mean it to sound like I'm completely discrediting shelter medicine at all okay. they're a wonderful service um and they do provide that service of trying to help with the population control and unless they're privately funded by people with a lot of money they usually are only run through community donations the fact that most animal shelters do require them to be spayed or neutered before they're adopted and that's that's great that's awesome highly appreciate that they do that and if that is the only way that you can get your animal spayed or neutered due to, you know, financial situations. That's totally understandable as well. I'm not knocking that at all either. But if it's available to you and you're able to afford it, I would highly recommend getting those things done at a veterinary clinic. Yeah, we, we love and appreciate our shelters. Yes. My clinic actually works very closely with one of the shelters in the Valley, and, you know, it works out great. Do we want to end on, on the, like, the shared one, the C-section? Because that has a happy ending. I think so. That you wanted to talk about before we um, do the shared one? Or? I don't think so. I mean, there was the one thing on my externship. It wasn't even my externship. It was my working interview. Um, we had a bull that had an intussusception. Oh, wow. Pop quiz. That? What's intussusception? It's when the intestines... Telescope. Yeah, telescope mm-hmm. into itself. Yeah, so uh, intussusception is not great. Unfortunately, this bull actually died. Hmm. Um... These people were willing to do whole surgery and everything. So we went out um, and again, we did a standing like block. I actually got to glove up and hold some of the intestines while they were looking for the intestinesception. I think I'm adding an extra. I think that's probably why you did that. Intestinesception. So I was holding the intestines and I forgot to take my coveralls for the whole thing mm-hmm. um and the ones that they let me borrow were way too small so i had them like just tied around my waist but they kept falling down so mm-hmm. the main doctor she was like getting everything ready and she saw my coveralls like falling down and she went up and went, i'm really sorry we're getting to know you real quick and like pulled them up for me basically yes and then she like tied it around my waist i'm like thank you so <laughs> much she had to like retie it because yeah. it just all oh, it was so bad I didn't care what, like, the shirt that I was wearing. It was probably going to get dirty anyways. Didn't care. Um, but, yeah, we uh, we really tried 
to save that bull, but it was that was a rough one. Did you end up finding out what caused it? Like, was it a foreign body or no? We just we suspect it was a foreign body. We offered a necropsy, mm-hmm. um, and they they were like, "It's we would rather just let him let him go." Mm-hmm. And so we actually used euthanasia solution. So the final one that we have is, it's kind of a shared case. Yeah. Because it started when I was working with you, mm-hmm. and then it kind of finished at the clinic that I am currently working at. Yeah. So, so it was a cool little sort of team up type of thing, yeah. shared story. Um, I guess I can start where yeah. it started. and I can it, finish where it ended. Yeah. So we had this client come in with their um, their pit bull who uh, was pregnant and um, did end up needing a C-section. A lot of the times, these big head dogs, mm-hmm. they do need that. So Frenchies are another breed that very frequently need C-sections. Unfortunately, just the nature of us silly humans breeding. Bad for, genetics. Yes. I said it. For, uh, for looks rather than function. Functionality. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so she had um, quite a few puppies, and one of the things that we look for um, when doing C-sections, because a lot of times when one is necessary, um, there can be some abnormalities with the puppies. So um, one of the things that we look for is um, what's called a cleft palate, um, and that's when the roof of the mouth is there's that hard bit you know if you were to touch the roof of your mouth it's kind of firm that's when that doesn't form completely across to form a solid surface so there's a split down it and the main issue with that is it then does not form a seal between your nasal sinus and your oral oral cavity and two issues arise with that. One, if they, if you are nursing, you cannot form a seal in order to... We take this action for granted, I think, a lot. I mean, people don't think about it. But when you drink from a straw, you create that vacuum in your mouth. And unfortunately, when you have a cleft palate, you cannot form that vacuum in your mouth to nurse or drink from a bottle. So that's problem number one. And then whatever you do drink or consume can then go up through your nasal cavities, which creates a lot of issues. You can unintentionally aspirate that fluid very easily, which is inhale it. A lot of times that material ends up in the lungs, which causes um, a lot of problems. So that's usually um, a condition that either needs to be corrected surgically, and sometimes they're significant enough to where they can't be repaired. And unfortunately, then the result is to euthanize that animal because they're not going to be able to survive. Um, They're just not going to be able to eat or drink or develop enough to where they can thrive. But on the bright side, I'll let Darren finish the story. So one of the survivors, the one with the cleft palate, um, actually later on in life, like she survived puppyhood and she, you know, was doing okay. She wasn't thriving in life. She was kind of like a perma puppy. Um, but she actually came to our clinic where we had our dental specialist um, who specializes in stuff with the mouth, um, including cleft palate repair. Um, and it took some time, but I we were actually able to repair the palate um last that i heard it worked i think um i haven't seen her in a while Um, we we do see her at my clinic occasionally from time to time Mm -hmm. and 
Yeah, she's still got a little bit of kind of that classic funky lip that you may see with like human uh, and humans um, children mm-hmm. that have cleft palates. Um, and uh, but she's she's doing well. It was kind of a surprise when I saw her because I was like, "You look really familiar. Mm-hmm. Your name looks really familiar." Oh my god, it's mm-hmm. you! Because the owner actually recognized mm-hmm. me. She was like, "Oh my gosh, you were there for the C-section," mm-hmm. and it was just kind of a cool f- full circle thing of like, started at one clinic, saw her again at the other clinic, mm-hmm. and like, she's doing well. It was like one of the probably the happier cases personally that I feel I've ever mm-hmm. seen because it's like it's like she I got to see her go through all of her life stages so it was just really cool yeah um one thing that you can do that a lot of owners tend to not end up opting to do because there's a lot of complications that can happen if you're not trained to do it properly you can um tube feed them mm-hmm. so this involves passing a little tube down into their stomach and essentially injecting just a liquid diet directly into their stomach um, to get them to a stage where they're, they are able to you know, develop enough to where the surgery is safer for them. Thankfully, this owner is amazing. She wanted to do whatever it took to save this puppy, and she was dedicated to it. We taught her how to pass this tube and feed this puppy every couple hours, you know, small amounts uh, of some liquid diet. And she did this for months and months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure it disrupted her lifestyle and everything. And I'm going to actually ask her if I can get permission to use her name, um, just because I, I want to give her that recognition. And um, everything that she did for this puppy because, yeah, she I mean, the, the odds of the puppy surviving were very low, but she she was dedicated for the, the whole thing, and, um, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was the other part, is that that dog's mom was so dedicated. Like, she, mm-hmm. it, like, it warms my heart, yeah. because it's one of those stories of, like, you know, you always hear that people don't want to do all the tough things that have to be done. Or that would need to be done to manage a difficult condition. And this person was just like, nope, I'm going to do it. And she did it. And her dog is living a happy, I assume, healthy life. Because she's, she's like, just every time I see her, she's just so happy. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of got a little teary-eyed just talking about it. Um, I mean, you didn't outright discourage her necessarily. But in these situations, as a medical professional, you need to make sure that the owners understand the situation. Because if you don't, and something happens, and they don't make it, or something, you know, complication develops, and it goes south, then they may blame you, or, you know, something. Um, And we told her from the start that most likely she will not survive, she may develop, you know, the complications as I, that I mentioned and just not make it, but she she kept at it. She contacted us, um, you know, throughout the whole whole thing to make sure everything was going well, and and she did so. Mm-hmm. I think she the dog also has her own uh, yeah Instagram. Uh, that was another thing. I think she posted on Facebook to get funding and stuff for Maybe. the procedure. I can't remember. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, so, I mean, she she went to every possible option that she could to help this puppy, and mm-hmm. we're very grateful that she did. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, we have been just kind of flying through these. Yeah. I think that's a good good bit of Tales from the, yeah. from the Trenches. And let us know if you enjoyed these stories. I'm sure we can come up with terrible stories to tell. Oh, uh, if you really, if you really want some some sad stories, but if you want to hear uh, more success stories or just really anything, um, reach out to us. Let us know, and um, we'll we'll probably do another episode like this. I'm sure at some point. Yeah, mm-hmm. like as you know, as we go through our career, and if this is going to be a long term podcast, you know, we might hear of things later on down the road. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, um, I guess to end this, we'll say um, thanks for listening, and um, I guess we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, thank you all, and we will talk to you all later. Happy New Year. Happy New Year's.